WTEL podcasts are powered by Stanley Steamer Air Duct Cleaning, Delaware's clean air experts. Call 1-800-STEAMER. With Hurricane Florence devastation and the sexual assault accusations against U.S. Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh dominating our media, joint Russian-Chinese military exercises have gotten scant attention in the popular U.S. media, but let's try to clarify some of that now. Uh, clearly, these war games send a signal to the United States and the West, but do they signify a formal alliance between Putin's Russia and China? Fred Weir, Moscow correspondent, Christian Science Monitor, csmonitor.com, monitoring some of this and writing about it. How does it look to you, Fred? Well, the the war games ended yesterday. Uh, <clears throat> they were very successful. There's a lot of dispute over how large they actually were that that out there in the Russian Far East. It's a pretty sparse country. Infrastructure is bad. Uh, it's unlikely that they could have been the scale that they claimed, but who knows? Uh, but there is no doubt that the Chinese participation in them was something new. Uh, this kind of uh, unity in in Russian-run war games like that has never happened before, and it's clearly a political message. Um, and it's it's because um, China feels pressured, you know, by the trade wars and so on. It is actually seeking to lease farmland in Russian Siberia uh, to 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 uh, grow soybeans and things that they used to buy from the United States. So the Chinese are hunkering down, and the war games are part of that message. The Russians, of course, under sanctions, the way they are from the United States in the first place, also seeking allies, and there's a lot of economic synergy there for them. So that's, that's what the background to this is. It clearly is a new stage of Chinese-Russian unity. It's got an anti-Western message that's unmistakable, um, but there are just too many reasons why neither side would want to go in for a formal alliance you know, a traditional full-blown military alliance with all those reciprocal obligations that they entail. I don't think, I, I, I didn't speak to a single expert um, anywhere who thinks that is imminent or even likely done. Well, I mean, despite the formal uh, communist front in the beginning, I mean, there were just so many historic and cultural differences between the two. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, it just would seem to be very difficult to put Humpty Dumpty back together again if it ever were one. Uh, but nevertheless, even if they don't have a formal alliance, to the extent that they perceive their interests as similar against the West, uh, then does it matter? Well, it does matter because China has serious problems in the South China Sea and Taiwan, which could bring it into like war with the United States. Russia has tensions in Ukraine and Syria and, and the Baltic area with NATO and, again, with the United States. And you see, the, uh, the danger of war is really a serious thing these days. It shouldn't be underestimated. But if China was to get into a war with the United States over Taiwan or something, the Russians don't want a piece of that. They definitely don't. And vice versa, the Chinese don't want any of these European squabbles to drag them into serious trouble. So that's one major obstacle to the two of them getting together in a formal alliance, which would require them to come to each other's aid if, if a war Yeah, started. well, I mean, for example, now I know the Russians are working against uh, Macedonian referendum, to name it uh, North Macedonia, so the Greeks acquiesce and then Macedonia possibly becomes a member of NATO, which the Russians most definitely don't want, but you couldn't imagine the Chinese ever wanting to be a part of that skirmish, for example. 
Right, or, or Ukraine. You see, the Chinese have not recognized the Russian annexation of Crimea, and, and they maintain good relations with Ukraine. The, the Chinese definitely uh, don't want any part of Russia's troubles in Europe, and, and it's, it's, it's mutual. They, 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 they have some central core geopolitical interest, and I must say, if the United States keeps pressuring with trade wars and, and things and sanctions uh, and so on, they, they, it is driving them together. Well, I was going to ask you about that because, of course, uh, we're, we see the trade war escalating even as we speak. But in economic terms, I mean, the Russians and the Chinese don't have a whole lot in common, do they? They actually do. Uh, Russia is a cornucopia of raw materials. China is an industrial powerhouse. So they're complementary, uh, then. Russia has, yeah, vast amounts of, of farmland that isn't utilized in, in Russia and in Siberia. China is a hungry, huge, growing population. No, no, there's a lot of synergies, not just complementary. Synergies could be there, but they aren't developed yet. And finally, i got to ask you, of course, I mean, here we are just kind of uh, playing this parlor game. We, we can't truly know, but uh, the perceptions at the Kremlin versus in Beijing about President Trump at the moment, and uh, which one regards him uh, as, a, as a flakier figure or worthy of uh, uh, testing out versus not testing out. He's unpredictable, too eccentric, uh, just uh, how he's perceived. Well, certainly the Russians have been thoroughly disillusioned with the idea that they can do any deals with him. I think the Helsinki summit taught them that that they had just better... um, I mean, they they blame it on, you know, this bureaucratic war in Washington and and a lot of things, but basically they've got the message that uh, they're not going to be making any grand bargains with the United States while Trump is there. And while the Mueller investigation proceeds, one assumes... Yeah, I don't think the Russians follow that, but I, 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 as I think we've discussed this before. They're absolutely derisory about it. They don't, they don't take that seriously. Uh, they just think America is having some kind of nervous breakdown, and Americans are polarized and at war with each other. And in this atmosphere, it's just hopeless to talk about better yeah. Russian-American relations. At this point, final question. I mean, we just saw visuals a few moments ago. The Polish president and uh, the U.S. president together uh, at the White House of joint news conference. Of course, reporters are mostly asking our president questions about the Kavanaugh issue. Uh, But uh, to me, that is a most interesting uh, match because we we see their Polish nationalism, which has also gone to the right, and uh, U.S. uh, Trump, uh, America first nationalism. And in many respects, there's a great convergence but I guess the difference is uh, Polish nationalism is uh, far more resistant to Russia than perhaps some of the other Eastern European countries. Yeah, I think it's a mistake to, to see all these things in terms of Trump. What, what is happening and has been for some time is that the post-Cold War order, such, such as it was, is breaking up and history is coming back. Poland is returning to a lot of its nationalistic roots. So are countries like Hungary. Uh, the United States itself, uh, with all that political polarization, is taking a, a, an odd turn, quite un, unexpected and, and scary for other people. And Russia is also going a certain way uh, under Putin. It's, it's, it's the return of history 
that we thought was ended. And the, by return of history, you mean just kind of going back to the old ethnic roots, the old historical yeah. models here, and uh, yeah, for yeah, the, reasons of history, like World Poland. War yeah. One. Yeah. Okay, well, Fred, thank you. Yeah, Appreciate it's, it. It's always my pleasure. Always our pleasure, too. Thank you, Fred Weir, Moscow correspondent, Christian Science Monitor at csmonitor.com. Live from Moscow for Delaware's Afternoon News.